0: This three video series is likely the most detailed full series that we have on the online clinic for special teams. And it's done by Nick Schroeder. Nick Schroeder, a suburban Chicago uh, coach who came down from Lincoln Way Central High School in the winter of 22 to the studios here in Champaign, Illinois and uh, shot this three video series. And just the the amount of detail really was staggering. I love the title of this first one, special teams it's not important till it's important. Uh, Enjoy this, if you wanna see it in person, or you wanna see any other things that we've done, check us out at clinic.chiefpigskin.com. How's everybody doing? I'm Nick Schroeder. I'm currently the defensive coordinator at Lincoln Way Central Football in New Lenox, Illinois. I've been very fortunate enough to be at Lincoln Way for the last four years going into the fifth season. I was talking with Coach Albaugh before uh, uh, before we got everything set up here today, and it's funny because I uh, went to Lincoln Way again four, four or five years ago and uh, probably only thought I was going to stay there for about three years, but uh, it's been such an excellent experience that uh, it's a place I hope to hope to finish my career off. So. Although I'm kind of starting with where where I am now, um, I'm going to show some stuff here uh, which kind of helped get me to there. Um, but today, what I want to talk about is, is special teams. So this is a conversation or a, a talk that I've been able, uh, been fortunate enough to to have before and uh, to do before. So I uh, was met with pretty good reception. So I thought uh, after talking with Coach, I uh, was looking for some content. It would be a it would be a nice fit for us. You know, everybody talks, and uh, I'm actually going to do three presentations here today, and I'll get into this more in the second presentation. But everybody talks about the three phases of the game, but it's like how how much do you actually actually spend uh, coaching that and trying to win that third phase. So for special teams thoughts here, and again, you see a quote in here, it's not important until it's important. You know, that's something that we always talk about with our special teams um, because, again, everybody kind of lets it slide a little bit until there's a big special teams play good or bad in a game, uh, especially when when you're on the bad side of it, now all of a sudden it becomes important to everybody. So the goal here today is kind of talk about some things that maybe make them a little bit more important prior to those game situations in order to help out. So uh, obviously, I would like to thank uh, the players that I've worked with throughout the, uh, throughout my time as a coach. Uh, if you don't have great players and great young men, it, the experience isn't what it could be. So I would like to thank those guys. I would like to thank the coaches that molded me. Uh, I got a kind of slide here on the next of, of, of some names. And I think that's important, not because I want to stand up here and talk about myself, but more importantly, because I think if you're going to take information from someone, and I hope uh, hope coaches out there listening today do take some information from me, uh, it, it's kind of nice to know where those people come from. Um, so I did want to, again, give some credit to those guys. Thanks to Coach Albaugh and Chief Pigskin for having me. Uh, funny story, I, I was kind of coming up right when this website and this uh, and this company started. Uh, so I can remember even early on, Coach Albaugh had a, uh, a recipe video. Uh, there was a video I can't remember if it was one or two videos but I remember he did a couple recipes and one of them was a stuffed mushroom appetizer and I can remember watching that video and uh, I've entertained a lot of people with those stuffed mushrooms since then so again coach thanks for having me and uh, uh, thanks for the the resource that you provide all of us coaches and then obviously thank the coaches watching uh, at the very very end of this I'll kind of give out my contact information and we'll talk a little bit more um, about any ways that I can help people uh, as, as we go again today I'm going to kind of start here with uh, special teams in general, then do a video on shield punt, if that's something that that you folks are into. And then at the end, I think is something in the third video where I can really help some people, is just kind of special teams organization in general, show you guys a couple documents that I use, but more importantly, talk about special teams situations that, in my opinion, really should be coached up. Uh, a little bit more frequent maybe than, than coaches think. So, again, thanks to the coaches watching. And if uh, if there's anything that, that uh, you need in a follow-up, please let me know. And again, I'll share that information at the end. But a little bit of my background, I started at Moline High School as an assistant coach for three years, played at, Moline High, uh, played at Moline High School, got into coaching right away. Afterwards, it was something that I knew I wanted to do. And man, was I a young coach. I made a lot of young coach mistakes there. Then I went on to Illinois State. and was very, uh, very fortunate to get on at Normal Community High School for two seasons working with a Hall of Fame coach and Coach Hud Venerable and I tell people that's really where I learned football. Then I get my first teaching job in Warrensburg-Latham, which is about 10 minutes outside of Decatur, Illinois. I was there for a couple of years, and it really taught me a lot about perspective. Uh, we did not win a lot of games when I was an assistant at Warrensburg-Latham, uh, but in a way, it was a great, great, great learning experience. So it was all about the perspective. Yeah, we didn't win games, but you could still learn football. So if there's a young coach out there and you've had a tough year or two, just remember it's what you make of it. Then I was really fortunate that I was able to get a a job as a head coach at a small school kind of up near where I grew up in the Quad Cities uh, for two years. And boy, was I a bad leader. Uh, We actually won some football games, but I was not very good to people. I was not good to assistant coaches. Players probably thought I was funny because I was going crazy all the time, but uh, man, was I a bad leader. So, again, another great learning experience. But, really, kind of where this talk starts to develop is really what happened after Riverdale. I was able to take that Riverdale experience and meet the head football coach at St. Ambrose University, which is in the Quad Cities as well. And uh, because of that, I was able to get a position over there as a GA. Uh, luckily enough, I was a little bit of an older GA at the time. I think I was probably around 28 years old versus, you know, your. Your average grad assistant at that level is probably 22, 23. I'd been a head coach, so I was able to kind of move along pretty pretty quickly at St. Ambrose. Ended up becoming the O-line coach and then the special teams coordinator, which is a lot of what this talk is going to be about today. And then I was able to be um, uh, the defensive coordinator there my last year as well. And, uh, man, I learned everything at St. Ambrose. I worked with some excellent people, which we'll see on the next slide. Uh, but then, again, uh, uh, organization man that is where i learned how to be an organized football coach was at st ambrose i was able i was in the state of iowa at that time and i was able to become the defensive coordinator at Coe college Uh, sadly was only there for one year it wasn't my plan going into it but sometimes life happens and again i was talking with coach Alba before here and he said kind of how'd you get at lincoln way central well between st ambrose and co I had recruited Lincoln-Way Central and just made a comment in there one day. I'm a I'm a shop teacher, industrial tech, and made a comment to our uh, the head coach there and said, hey, you know, if you ever have a a shop job open, let me know. Something I would be interested in. And he said, oddly enough, we do, and the the rest is history. So been able to coach several different positions at at Lincoln Way Central um, with 2019 being the special teams coordinator and then moving into the defensive coordinator role. So it's that St. Ambrose and that Lincoln Way special teams coordinator stuff that I'm going to really get into today. Uh, The guys that molded me, I won't sit here and read every single name, uh, but a little bit here on, on what they taught me, guys that taught me what it is to be more than a coach. Guys that taught me about what football really is. Mike Magistrelli at St. Ambrose talked about how to to take whatever you have and make the most of it. Just make things first class. Don't complain about your situation because nobody's really going to listen anyways. And so, again, some other great names on here and what they've taught me. So where does the special team stuff come in? I'm talking about 2014. That is actually the year I was at St. Ambrose as the O-line coach, so I was not the special teams coordinator. Uh, But basically after that season, uh, our head coach who had been there, you know, uh, I think he just – He just uh, retired from there after about 15 years. So at this time, he's somewhere around year eight. Uh, But basically, he came to us as a staff, and he's like, guys, we're not very good at special teams, and I don't really understand why. Um, So here's kind of the information we have from 2014. Uh, We are in a very, very, very tough conference at that time in the Mid-States Football Association. So you were going to get a lot of good programs and special teams was a part where, where you would obviously could try to capitalize. Now, it's easy to say, but we weren't doing it. Rank uh, Our rank out of the 13-team conference, we were only in the top half of one special teams category. So, again, our head coach kind of brought that up to us, and he said, guys, we're really strong at linebacker, wide receiver, tight end, running back. See, at St. Ambrose, it's a little bit like some high schools in that, you don't always have the biggest and best linemen, but you could always kind of get those linebacker, tight end type guys. Uh, So we thought that we had athletic guys that could run, but again, we weren't seeing that on special teams. So we really started to evaluate um, what what could we do differently? And so again, I give Coach Magistrelli credit for, for realizing that and us sitting down and thinking about some things. And basically what we figured out is that these guys do other things. Again, this guy is our backup tight end. He might be a starting wide receiver. He, he might be a starting linebacker, a linebacker that's rotating in, right? Maybe we are in a 3-4 at the time. Maybe he was our fifth best, but was still getting some plays uh, quite a bit on, on that side of the ball, to where we realized special teams, although it was a priority to us as coaches, it wasn't players' first thing to remember. Right, again, as the receiver, they had to know all the pass concepts. As as the linebacker, they had to know all the pressures. So really what we did is we just simplified things. We said we've already decided we have great athletes out there and we should be better on specials. Let's just keep our systems really simple and let, and let the athletic side of those guys take over. And that's what we did, and we had an absolute complete turnaround. So again, in 2015, that was the year I was fortunate enough to, to coordinate our specials, uh, you see a complete turnaround. So we went from being number one in only one category, or excuse me, in the top half uh, in only one category, to now we're in the top half in all of them but one. Okay, so a pretty, pretty, pretty big turnaround there. Um, Obviously everybody can, can read the slide in that. There's a punt statistic there that says we were actually fifth in the conference, uh, but we were an offensive, uh, we did a lot of pooch punting as well. So anytime you do that, those offensive, those short yardage pooch punts get added in. Uh, if you took just our actual punt team, uh, we would have been much higher in the conference because we had the number one punter in the conference, a guy by the name of Matt Katiglia. Matt Katiglia was the number one punter in the nation uh, at, at a little bit over 43 yards per punt, and he was also the top field goal kicker in the nation. Matt Katiglia won the Fred Mitchell Award that year, uh, which is a national award given out to the best the best kicker um, in, in all of college football. It was only this, At the time, it was only the second time an NAIA guy had ever won that, so uh, Matt was a big part of why we had this success. But we also think just being able to simplify things um, and, again, let athletes do. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't get them out there thinking on special teams. Get them out there. Let them run around. And uh, worked out pretty pretty well for us. Um, so how do we do that? Number one, obviously, our players and our coaches. Again, I already talked about Matt Cattiglia. It's obviously helpful when you have great players. So that was, that was a huge help to have him. We had really good return guys, guys like Brad Connor, guys like Joey Zito. Uh, so they helped as well, don't get me wrong. It wasn't all scheme. Uh, we also decided, hey, this is, a, this is an opportunity where you're going to play your dudes. Uh, you're not going to give these guys breaks on special teams. And I've heard, I've heard coaches on both sides of that, and, and I understand why. And I guess that's a kind of big message for me today, is I'm gonna talk about some stuff that has worked for me. It is stuff that I believe in. Uh, It's been fortunate enough to work at a few stops to where obviously I trust it. If there's something I say here today and you're like, coach, that makes no sense to me in our program, well then obviously that's not for you. So again, there's two sides of this. You know, Do you rest guys on specials? Do you not? We just got to the point where we said, if we want to improve our specials, we need to make sure we have our guys out there. Uh, I am huge on this next thing in having a special teams coordinator. Uh, I've been at places that have done both. And I think when you have one contact person, when you have one voice that the players consistently hear, and that person takes pride in their job, I think that is a better situation than what I call farming out special teams, where, hey, maybe, you're, uh, you know, maybe your running back coach does the punt team, and then your linebacker coach does the punt return team. You always have different people, different voices. And realistically, guys, that is the last thing that those coaches are thinking about. Let's say your defensive coordinator is going to do your field goal block unit, which is very common. That is fine. But just understand, that defensive coordinator is not starting by looking at that team's field goal unit. It's probably the last thing that he gets to every week. He probably sees it more as a role or a task than he does as something that he takes pride in. So I'm a believer in having a special teams coordinator. Again, there's coaches that are in the far opposite camp of that, and I understand why. Uh, and for me, it was all about coordinating interactions. So I've always said, like, I'm, I'm not some special teams guru. Again, second presentation I do today is going to be about shield punch. And you'll realize it's very, very, very simple. Um, And and I'll talk more about why it's very simple in that presentation. Um, But I thought it was my job to just be organized, to what I call not only coordinate special teams, but to coordinate interactions. Uh, When you do special teams, you are working with so many people. I think that's why I'm passionate about it. Again, going back to that background of me, I've coached at a little bit of big schools, and I've coached at some really small schools, 350 players or less, where you coach on both sides of the ball. Versus here now at a college level, right, you're working. One of the very few guys working with players from both sides of the ball is that special teams coordinator. So that was always very important for me and why I think special teams is important. Uh, how else did we make this thing work? Again, we were really, really, really simple. I know I've mentioned this. We felt that our players already had enough to remember. Okay, Again, they had to remember that pass route. Uh, they had to remember uh, their, 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 what our third and long call was going to be, which might only be a couple times a game defensively. Uh, so they already had enough on their plate. We just wanted to get them some simple special team principles and get them out there being football players. I think you have to really think about, and I'll go into this more uh, in my next presentation, I think you have to think about how much time are you really gonna dedicate to special teams. In 2019, so I know I've talked a little bit about St. Ambrose, but in 2019 at Lincoln Way Central, that was the last time I coordinated specials, it was only 16% of our snaps, okay? So if you're only gonna be in this situation 16% of the season, how much time are you really gonna put into that? And then if you're not gonna put a lot of time into it, how complex can you be? So again, another reason to be simple. Um, Another thing is to be organized. Uh, I've seen places, uh, obviously coaches, you script everything, right? You script what your practice looks like. You script what you're gonna run an inside run and seven on and team. Everything on the offensive and defensive side gets scripted, but then there's sometimes where special teams guys go out there and they just kind of wing it. So that wasn't for me. That was another reason why I felt like we were able to make things work, because we scripted everything. So again, uh, in the third presentation, I've got some some forms, some templates there that I think can can help some coaches. And then also make it special, right? Uh, At Lincoln Way Central, our head coach calls it special forces. Uh, Again, I grew up with it being called special teams, which is fine, but find a way to make make it special. Uh, if you are a program that does goals and awards and helmet stickers for your offense and defense, then do them for your do them for your special teams as well. And again, I know I kind of mentioned this earlier, don't wait until the end. If you really want to make it special, it shouldn't be the last thing that your coaching staff is looking at because uh, at that time it's kind of getting rushed through. So, so find one, maybe it's two people uh, that take a lot of pride in specials and, and uh, have, have them be looking at it first uh, and being prepared that way. And that's how we were able to be successful with it at both, uh, at both St. Ambrose and at Lincoln Way Central. So today I'm going to talk, I'm a big iceberg theory guy. So uh, what that means is there are icebergs that are a mile wide. That is a real fact. And then there's some icebergs that are a mile deep, okay? Today in this talk, I'm going to be a mile wide. I'm not going to go very into much detail about anything. Just gonna give some uh, general special teams thoughts. If you are able to watch the shield punt presentation, that's gonna be a little bit more uh, mile deep. And then again, I'm gonna share my contact information at the end. Uh, If there's anything that I say here today that you wanna get deeper into, again, I love to talk special. So I think that's that's important. I think when you're first researching stuff, go ahead and be a mile wide. Find out what it is that you wanna do then when you know what you want to do, now start getting into it a mile deep. Uh, this should be in every special teams playbook, uh, just talking to your talking to your young men um, about starting field position and, and why this is important, okay? So every place I've been, I've been able to uh, put this in our playbook. Now, uniquely, I've been thinking about this. Every time I've been a special teams coordinator, the next year I've actually become our defensive coordinator. So I've never been able to do this in back-to-back years. This is a very general chart. Um, Again, that is a good starting point. But I think it would be awesome to, after a season, then go in and actually change these numbers to what you guys saw the year before. And then I think your players might put a little bit more stock into it. But basically, you're communicating with your players something that seems very simple, but the numbers kind of help bring it to life. And it said, hey, the farther away the other team has the ball from the end zone, the less chance of scoring they have. So again, I think that's a great starting point and would be be pretty important to kind of update that as well. If you had a special teams coordinator in that role for a few years, they could kind of update that as they go particular to your program. Uh, So kickoff. Again, just kind of kind of give some general thoughts about about specials here. Uh, maybe there's something I say you disagree with. Maybe there's something I say that you uh, uh, would like to more, learn a little more about. Excuse me. Uh, feel free to uh, feel free to reach out and let's talk about it. But for me, your kickoff right. That's your first play. Defense. You got to use your dudes. I know I talked about that already. Most importantly, you got to use guys that can run. OK, uh, one of the things that we've done at places I've been, obviously on a touchback, sometimes you get guys that stop running. Uh, but for what, what we did is the first player that crossed the goal line on a touchback, uh, is they, they got a helmet sticker. I've seen other coaches that do it as the first guy that touches the, uh, the uh, goal post. They're a guy that gets a helmet sticker or some type of award, depending on what the program is. But again, you're encouraging getting players out there, getting players that run and run fast. I think that's a huge part of your kickoff program but deep down it's all about the kicker. Uh, There's not a ton of scheming, again this is my opinion, but there's not a ton of scheming you're going to do on your kickoff. Um, You can only line up so many ways. Coaches, you're either going to have five guys on each side of the kicker or you're going to have one overloaded side where you have six guys on one side and four on on the other. Right back years ago, that was a little bit different. Uh, But right now, you can only line up so many ways. So it's not really to me as much about how you line up as much as it is about that kicker. However, that kicker could be a huge touchback guy. and We've been fortunate enough uh, at Lincoln Way Central to have one of those guys the last couple years He's not always going to be able to get a touchback. At some point in the year, you're going to have a cold, windy game. He is not going to be able to put the ball in the end zone. Uh, You're going to have a penalty or a safety. He is not going to be able to put the ball in the end zone. So although, although that guy might be normally a touchback type of kicker, you have to be able to kick the ball directionally and use different zones. And I'll show a slide of what I mean by different zones here in a minute, but you gotta be able to sky the ball. You gotta be able to squib the ball near the end of the half, things like that. Um, And again, that's kinda what what my next bullet point's getting into there um, about even if you have the best kicker, yeah, there's gonna be times you can't always count on a touchback. And then another thing that I really believe in is teaching guys blocking levels, okay? So anybody that's at that first level, these are typically like your, your front line guys and your ends that are trying to block your kickoff team. Those are guys you want to avoid and you always want to avoid them to the butt side. Uh, as soon as you start to try to cross their face, at that point they can just give you a little bit of a chip block, You know, barely, barely touch you, and now all of a sudden you're out of your lane. So today I'm not talking about what our lanes look like and anything like that but I think no matter what your lane or your coverage system is going to be, uh, I believe in that those first-level guys, you don't want to tie up with them. You want to avoid those guys. You want to avoid them to their butt side so they can't get a really easy block on you, and then you want to get right back into your coverage. Second-level guys, those are the guys that you want to engage. So these are guys like the fullback or maybe returner who doesn't have the ball. These are guys that it's okay to get hands on, But obviously, in a very quick manner. So, you know, we just teach a rip move basically with that. And then those third level guys, that's basically your guy who's got the ball. That's the guy that you want to attack. So, those are just some quick kickoff thoughts. Um, When I think about, hey, if I were to build a kickoff team, what would it be based around? Again, none of that says, hey, you got to line up five by five or you got to line up with the ball on a hash and being six by four. Again, just some general thoughts of what I believe in, no matter what scheme you're actually going to use. So I talked about the different kicking zones, okay, obviously this is, uh, um, got some yard lines tied to this, um, but different kicking zones here, okay, so a neutral zone where you can't line up, an onside zone. So basically, what this was is, if we ever called an onside kick, Our kicker, again, we don't want to have to make those guys that play end and wide receiver and linebacker remember this stuff, but kickers, those guys typically you have a little bit more time of them just working on specials. If we said, hey, we we want to do an onside here, that ball should be uh, and then where it should be, right, anywhere between the 45-yard lines is where we would expect that ball if we called an onside. Sky kick, I am a huge, huge, huge believer in sky kicks, especially in those windy games when you know you can't get the ball kicked to the end zone. Get that thing high, get that thing up in the air, and then you almost get it coming back to you. uh, and, And I'm a big believer in it. And the reason why is that both places I've been and when I've coordinated specials is we've been able to steal possessions because of that. Again, that ball gets up in the up in the wind, starts coming back to your guys, and it's something our guys loved. Our guys loved when we called a sky kick because they knew it was our chance to potentially get the ball back. Obviously, you have to be able to squib it, and then obviously you're going to kick deep as well. But again, just a communication piece. So when we told our, our kicker we wanted you to squib the ball, he kind of knew. And then obviously you could throw directions in there as well, right? You could call an onside left. You could call a sky right, things like that. But just a communication piece to get those guys on the, on the same page. Kickoff return. I think sideline return is a guessing game. And this was really something that Coach Magistrelli uh, and I sat down at St. At Ambrose at the time. And basically, especially if the ball is in the middle of the field, you don't know are they going to kick it to your left returner or to your right returner. But let's just say they kicked it to your left returner and you had a return right on. In my opinion, you guessed wrong. It takes a lot of time for that left returner to get all the way to the right side of the field, you know, whether it's truly a sideline or whether you were trying to hit it up in between maybe your two and your three. Uh, but long story short, is he's running across the field for quite a while before he's ever getting north-south. Now you could guess right. Maybe uh, you called a left return and it got kicked to your left return. Or, well, that, that play is going to develop the way you want it to. But basically we felt like, man, unless we knew where that ball was getting kicked, unless they always had it on a hash, and they were always kicking it down that same hash. We just felt like anytime the ball was in the middle of the field that we were really guessing. Uh, so we went with just a middle return because we felt like it didn't matter where that ball ended up, you could at least always get your returner back to the middle of the field. Um, and so that's what worked for us. It's funny, I'll actually mention uh, on another slide here that I know people that they are 100% opposite of that. They think that the kickoff return is the time you want to run a sideline return. And that punt return is the time you want to run it up the middle. Again, uh, I've always been in the opposite boat of that, and it's worked for me, uh, so I've just owned it that way. Uh, but it's all about finding finding what works best for you and your program. Um, again, we wanted to keep things simple. That was another reason why we like middle, ter- middle return. Excuse me. We just had one simple return. It blocked the same person. We didn't have to overthink it. Here's an example, right? Sometimes with sideline return, let's just take your left tackle for example. If you call a left return, uh, he's probably blocking like number two or number three, okay? But then that same exact young man, when you call a right return, all of a sudden they're probably blocking somebody else. So now you've changed everything. You've changed who they block, they have to remember that. You've changed the angle at which they block, uh, the angle of their drop. You've just changed a lot for them. Versus the middle return, we felt like we could keep it simple for guys uh, and allow us to become a great return team. We didn't want to be a good return team when hey, when, when we guessed right, we were we were really dang good. But boy, if we guessed wrong, we sucked. Uh, We wanted to become a great return team. And we thought having a middle return and having it consistent really helped us with that. Uh, We did then get to the point where we had one simple variation, which was a cross return, and literally All that did was change for two people, Uh, but it didn't change a whole lot. So basically what this was was our ends. So these would be our second level guys when we ran this return. Typically they blocked number three on their side. Basically all the cross return was was they blocked number three still. They just blocked the opposite number three, okay? And again, that kind of opened things up in the middle of the field. some other things for us, is it put more on film that teams had to watch, right? For us, it was really simple. We only changed two dudes, but if you were breaking us down, all of a sudden, hey, a couple times a game, we're blocking it differently. Coordinators have to spend their time on that, okay? Or, Or whoever's running that other team's kickoff unit. And it was also a really good answer if we felt like we were getting stuck. So we pretty much opened every game with middle return and uh, pretty much every every second return, we probably were a middle return as well. If we weren't getting any mileage out of that, it at least gave us an answer, something else to try, and at least our players believed in it, right? If you've just ran middle return twice and it hasn't worked at all, and then you call middle return again, I don't know how much your players are gonna start buying into that. So at least carrying that one little change by having that cross return, uh we we felt it gave gave us a little mileage with our players as well um then we ran that for an entire season literally only two returns we either were a middle return or we were a cross return again every single person blocked the same person all the time except our our, our uh, ends could have blocked the opposite number three so we got pretty good at it if you go back to those slides of those stats that was an area where we were pretty good in Um uh, Then after an entire year when we felt like we were pretty good at it, we were going to put in a sideline return. And that still, he blocked the same guy. So now all of a sudden, let's go back to that left tackle who had to block number two. He was still going to block number two instead of blocking him towards the sideline for a middle return, he was just going to block him towards the middle of the field in order to get a sideline return. Uh, so, so we weren't really changing anything too much. But again, that is something that we did not even think about installing until we got, uh, we felt that we were good at the other stuff, which for us was the middle and the cross return. Uh, now getting into some thoughts about punt. I think one of the most important things that, that the head coach or you and the head coach, if you're the special teams coordinator or – or the the guys around that head coach that he helps uh, look to for making decisions is to uh, find out what style of punt you want to be, but more importantly, why. Um, You know, I just have a couple basic ones listed here. Do you want to be a shield punt team? Do you want to be a pro punt? Do you want to be something that's a little more niche, like a rugby? Uh, I know even on on, uh, Chief Pigskin, there's been some stuff in the past about two punters. Uh, So there's plenty of systems out there. Again, I think you need to really think about what you want to do, but more importantly, why. For me, a shield punt has been a little more basic. Uh, this is, hey, we're a team that more often than not, we're going we're gonna to kick the ball. We're going to punt the ball, um, not run a ton of fakes. If we run some fakes, they're not overly elaborate. We're not trying to trick anybody on shield punt. We're just trying to get the ball punted. Versus if you're a pro punt, you know I think you've got an ability to have a few more fakes out of that. That's just my belief. Again, you might be a coach that thinks totally the opposite, and that's fine. But I think it goes back to the idea of find out what works for you. More importantly, why. Uh, when I was at Cole College, uh, they were a rugby punt team, and it worked out really, really well for them. So it uh, just, again, depends on depends on what you believe in. None of it matters if you don't have a good snap and operation time. So again, I'm going to do a a talk after this on shield punt in particular. Um, But nothing I say in that conversation is going to be revolutionary. And none of it matters if it's a bad snap or if your punter takes too long to get the ball kicked anyway. So really, it's all about those two things. And that's, again, that's nothing overly complex. Like, coaches don't know that. Uh, You have to have great players. We know that. I am a believer in having one run fake, one pass fake that you have confidence in. I'm not a not a believer that you need to have several fakes. In fact, when I start uh, talking about extra point, I'll uh, kind of give a horror story about that. Um, but just have one run fake for times you need to run it, one pass fake for times you need to pass it. That's what you practice. And uh, because that's the only things you practice for your fakes out of this situation is that's what you have confidence in. But on top of that, you're gonna to have to be unique at when you call those. You can't only call them on the negative 45 when it's fourth and two. You can't only call fake punts in fake punt situations or they're ne- you're never gonna get enough mileage out of them. It might work for you once, um, but it probably isn't to be honest with you. Uh, but it certainly isn't gonna work for you multiple times. So again, you have to be a little, uh, a little unconventional sometimes. Some of the best fake punts are ran at the negative 30, okay? Um, but. Your head coach has to have confidence in that, but I tell you, your head coach can't only do it when it's an obvious situation in midfield. Um, I think, and again, I'll go into detail about this a little bit more here in the in the shield punt presentation. I think the number one thing that coaches or teams miss when they teach shield punt is. The intent of the rusher, uh, and I'm not gonna gonna I'm gonna throw a big cliffhanger out here, and not getting into too much detail in this presentation about it. Um, but if you watch the shield pump one, I I will get into detail about that. But it's basically coaching your players to identify what is that guy across from you trying to do. We teach that when they're an offensive lineman. We teach that when they're a uh, defensive back, right? reading the intent of that person, and then when it gets to special teams, nobody really looks into it. So to me, one of the biggest things we did, and I took this from Tom Anthony, uh, who was uh, was our D coordinator at St. Ambrose, but he had coached punts at some other places prior to that, and it was all about teaching your guys to read, what is that guy across from me trying to do? And it really helped simplify things, which again, I'm all about simplification on specials. uh, And we really, really, really were successful with that. And again, I'll go into more detail in that shield punt video. And then lastly, uh, a a general thought I have, which again, these are all general thoughts, uh, but a general thought I have is is pinning a team. Everybody wants to pin a team deep, um, but how much do you actually practice that? And not only by that, of course everyone's going to throw it out there a couple times in practice, uh, but what does that look like, okay? So I was really fortunate enough when I was the head coach at Riverdale, I went and watched the practice for uh, Cordy Bielma, who was at Morrison, uh, when they were winning some state titles. And he had an excellent drill for this. Um, But I think it just goes back to the fact that if that's going to be important to you, and remember, it's not important until it's important, Uh, it's something you got to practice. So what is the example there? If you are in a game situation and you have a chance to pin a team, but you haven't practiced it or haven't practiced it enough, and then all of a sudden in the game, right, that ball that could have been down on the negative two ends up in the end zone, all of a sudden everybody's freaking out. All of a sudden it's important to you. Well, I'm telling you, it should be important to you in practice days slash weeks, Uh, prior to that actual game situation so again if you're going to be a team and and I'll talk more about it in in my punt conversation uh, if you're going to be a team that just pretty much lives on hey we're going to punt the ball not a lot of fakes um, but we're going to have great coverage well then you better practice having great coverage as well. Punt return I think you're either a block team or you're a return team I think you have to be very realistic Uh, I think you have to carry both of them There are situations when you're going to want to block a punt. There are situations when you're going to want to return a punt. But I don't know that you're ever going to be really, really good at both. So I think you have to be realistic, okay? For me... I've always gravitated towards being a block team. Again, some people are going to watch this video and they're going to gravitate towards being a return team, and that's fine. Again, find out what works best for you, what works best for your coaches, what works best for your program, and your young men, okay? Uh, but for me, it's always been a little bit more gravitating towards block. Uh, overall, I'm kind of an aggressive person in nature, right? I call it defense. Um, the other thing I think is it doesn't actually have to be blocked in order for it to work, especially at the high school level. You get a punter back there who's got a bunch of dudes up at the line and those guys are coming at them Uh, sometimes you end up either with a bad snap or you end up with the ball getting kind of fumbled around a little bit you end up with a kick that gets shanked so yeah you didn't block the punt but you still got a benefit out of it so i think that that is big Uh, i also think being a block team is easier to drill in the summer Punt return is the one special that really always changes based on what your opponent is doing. You know, I kind of talked about that with punt, right? There's so many different punt versions. Well, you're obviously going to line up differently to a shield punt than you would against a a, a two-punter system or you would against even a a pro punt. You line up differently. So to take all of those variations out of it, I think you can have more consistency in the summer, especially uh, when you're just kind of installing this if you're a little bit more of a block team, again, my thoughts. Um, and so I think if you're going to be a block team, yeah, again, you have to have situations where you return the ball, but you have to be realistic about what that looks like. I think if you're a block team and you go through a whole season and you never return a punt for a touchdown, I think that's okay. I think if you're going to be a block team, and you think you're gonna return three for a touchdown, I don't think you're being very realistic. Now, if you're gonna be a block team, yeah, you should probably block one or two per season. Absolutely, okay? That needs to become your goal, not necessarily your goal of returning them. So for me, as a block team, this was something Coach Magistrelli at St. Ambrose talked about a lot. The average ball, the average punt that hits the ground and rolls, rolls 17 yards. So for us, our return was if we even fair caught the ball, we felt like that was a success because the ball at that point didn't roll 17 extra yards. So, um, sure, if you could get five yards out of a return or 10, absolutely you would take that as a benefit. But I think, again, if you're not going to be a return team, you're going to be a block-style team, you have to be realistic about your expectations with that returner. Okay? Um, To me, when you did return, This was now your chance for a sideline return because typically the ball is gonna be on a hash. Obviously not every time, um, but if the ball is on a hash, you should know where that ball is getting kicked, okay? Most teams aren't gonna have the ball on a hash and then kick it across the field. They're gonna lose too much yardage on that. So if the ball is on the offensive left hash, that is the side that we want our sideline return to go to. So for us, right, On the defensive side of the ball or the return side of the ball that would have been a return right and then in general if the ball was in the middle of the field we would just return it to our sideline because it's easier to get some of those uh, some of those calls either called or not called depending on the situation uh, when it happens over there on your sideline so that was just kind of our general now again coach Hendrickson so I worked with coach Hendrickson his son is now the head coach at uh, Western Illinois but I worked with his son at Coe College Coach Hendrickson was a longtime special teams coordinator in college football, and he would come and he would talk to us. And uh, it was funny because he had the exact opposite thought of me. His idea was on kickoff, or kick return, excuse me, that was your time to do sideline returns um, because you could set things up more. He then thought punt, because coverages were a little bit better, he thought if you were on a punt return, you should just always get the ball back to the middle of the field catch it and get vertical as quick as you can one of the his style worked for him my style of a sideline return is something that that worked for me Um, so it's all about again finding what works best for you for me it's been we know if the ball's on a hash we probably know where that's going so now i feel a little more comfortable with the sideline return but again even if our returner just catches the ball and saves us 17 yards we we are totally fine with that we call that a good return Uh, If you are a block team, I think you have to be realistic about how many guys you're sending. And I've made this mistake. In 2019, when I was coordinating for for, uh, Lincoln Way Special Teams, we brought as many guys as we could, and it never really looked good. There's times where your guys run into each other. There are times where your guys, because you have so many of them moving forward, it increases your chance of roughing that punter. I thought we were doing it right, and then that off season, I was I was researching things. I wanted to start blocking more punts, and I came across Jimmy Flynn. And I'm going to talk more about uh, Saint Xavier when I do my uh, uh, do my shield punt conversation. But Jimmy Flynn was the uh, the coordinator for Saint Xavier uh, special teams, and he had a really 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 good point. He's like, you don't have eight people in your program that have the capability of blocking a kick even if you got all eight of them there they're not going to have the skill set of doing that it is a, it is a very unique skill set so it's now really not more about bringing eight people okay it's about bringing those two three four guys finding ways to get the guys that actually have the skill set to block a punt It's about finding ways to get them there, more so than it is bringing as many guys as you can that, again, are either going to rough the punter, they're going to run into each other, and it never looks quite the way that that you thought. So there's a picture of Nick Farrell here on the side. Nick was one of those guys who had the skill set to block punts. So, again, looking back, had I done some things differently or had Nick for another year or been in that role for another year, I would have spent more time on trying to find ways to free up Nick Farrell to go block a punt versus, hey, just having this one where we send everybody. I think that's going to increase our odds because, in fact, it really doesn't. My last thought on punt return, and, again, not a surprise based on what I've talked about with our return man, but the whole key, if nothing else, when the other team punts the ball they have, they have declared they're going to give you the ball. You have to end with the ball. So I don't care what your scheme is. You better have the best hands back there on the back end. Maybe that means you're a one-returner team. Maybe that means you're a two-return man team. That's up, to, again, that's up to you and your staff. But all I do know is the other team is conceding, hey, we're punting the ball. We're giving it to you you have to come out of that possession, or that play, excuse me, with that football still. And I've been very fortunate, knock on wood, and I'm not coordinating specials right now, but uh, I've never had a a punt blocked, and I've never had a a situation where we were on the return team, and we ended up not coming out with the ball. Because again, those were the things that we talked about. Uh, Extra point or PAT thoughts. I've always been a swinging gate type guy. Um, Again, what type of team do you want to be? Are you a team that just wants to line up and simply kick the ball? Uh, For us, we felt swinging gate was a way to have a little bit of fun, but also gain an advantage. And then I think it becomes, if you decide that you're a team that wants to gain an advantage, start to think about what type of advantage do you want to gain? So for a lot of us, we know the typical swinging gate system, right, where it's like a snapper, a holder, and a kicker. In the middle of the field, you might have one receiver on one side of the field, and then everybody else is over on the other side. That's fine. That, that works for people, okay? But then if you're going to line up like that, why do you want to line up like that? If they totally misalign. Are you gonna take advantage of that? So at that point, you're looking for a formation advantage or an advantage to start creating points, right? Hey, if they don't line up right, we're automatically going for two uh, and we're gonna try to gain more points, which is a pretty good theory in the game of football. That's what it's all about. Um, But for us, we didn't wanna put a lot of time into it. We We wanted to be different, but we wanted to gain a time advantage. So we felt like if we came out in the swinging gate and we had all these if-then situations, right? Go back to that normal swinging gate look. If if they don't cover this guy, we're doing this. If they only have two people here, we're doing this. If they're short a guy over here, we're doing this, right? Again, we wanted to simplify things. So even though we were swinging gate, we were typically gonna shift to a formation and kick the ball, but we felt like we were creating a time advantage. And it's funny, the more I thought about this on my ride here, it's like, Every football program is different. You have different players. You have different skill sets. You have different talent levels. You have different coaches. You have a different system. Okay, Everything is different. What you do have is the same amount of time. So we felt like if we could be a multiple swinging gate, we just forced you guys to waste time. And in that time, you weren't getting better at other stuff. Maybe you were cutting your third down period a little bit shorter so you could go over how to defend swinging gate. Versus for us, it was really, really simple. Yeah, we looked different and we looked complicated and we looked multiple, but we remembered that we knew that we were just probably gonna shift and kick it anyways, right? So we felt like we were at least creating a time advantage with that. Again, maybe you're a team that just wants to line up and kick, or maybe you're a team that wants to create a formation advantage, uh, but for us, we wanted for a time advantage. Uh, I think there's a mentality to your extra point team. I think you need to remind those young men that they're a unit that scores points. I think too often uh, people, okay, maybe it's fans or players or whatever, people think, okay, a touchdown gets scored. The very next thing is just eh, just run a team out there and then go kick the ball. Uh, at that point, it's like a formality versus, hey, we are a unit that takes pride. In what we do, we are a unit that scores points, and again, that's really the name of the game here uh, is is scoring points. And then, uh, I I said I have a horror story, right? Uh, I think for your PAT, whether you're going to do a swinging gate or whether you're going to line up and just kick the ball, doesn't matter. I think you need to have a fake or two, not 10. I have been of a part of a football program where I'm not kidding, we had 10 extra point fakes, there's probably really five. But then there, were, it could have been, it could have went to the right or it could have went to the left. Uh, but we had ten fakes that we practiced and practiced, and we never, ever, ever used one of them the entire season. So go back to again. My thoughts are, hey, let's create a time advantage. If we did that, if we had ten fakes and we never used them. Uh, man we actually did the reverse of a time advantage we actually created a time advantage for the other team so again have a fake maybe two fakes again maybe a run and a pass maybe something that's a little more basic and something that's a little bit more uh, 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 trendy right Uh, but you got to be able to use it okay my vote then becomes you want to use them early in the year to get them on film Find a game you think you're going to win or find a game that is going really good for you and just run the fake in a situation where obviously you don't think it's going to lose you the game because even if you don't get it, you've put it on film. And now when that other team that you're playing two weeks down the road or next week sees it, again, they have to spend their time on talking about your fake. So yeah, obviously you hope that you convert and you hope you get the points. I understand that. But really... Even if it's not successful, it could still be a success by getting another team to spend their time on it. So, again, I think you should carry some fakes. Uh, I think you should run them early in the year to get them on film. And then as your season goes, you should probably be running a fake maybe every three games. Uh, again, it's all it's all situational-based. If you absolutely need to score two points, you're probably just gonna keep your offense out there anyways, okay? So find key situations and games, right? Maybe you're gonna face your conference rival next week and you're in the middle of a game that's going pretty well for you. Maybe that is a good time to run a fake because hey, you're putting it on film. Now again, maybe you wanna keep it in your pocket because you might need it against that conference rival. I understand that too. But I think if you're gonna spend time on your fakes, you don't want to get to the end of the year and say, man, we never ran that. Or you especially don't want to have 10 fakes get to the end of the year and say, we never ran that. So again, just some thoughts on extra point. And then some points on extra point block. It is a bad situation. Why is your extra point block team out there? Because the other team just scored. So we know it's a bad situation, but really talk to your players again about mindset, about what image are they putting out there? So I have seen teams that right, it's their extra point, or excuse me, it's their extra point block unit out there, and three guys stand around. About two guys get off the ball hard, and you got a few other guys still sitting there pouting. One of them's talking to an official. Like that's crazy. Okay, other teams are seeing that, and then they're using that. They're they're getting their team fired up about that. Um, what you just put out there. So talk to your talk to your team. Yeah, we realize it's a bad situation, guys, but we're still putting an image out here on film. For others to see. Again, a mindset thing. Just like we said our extra point team scores points, the whole goal of an extra point or a field goal block team is to prevent points. And again, that's what it all comes down to at the end. Okay. So make sure you remind those guys that is their job. They prevent points. It's another play of defense essentially. Okay. Celebrate blocked kicks, especially field goals. We used to count at the college level where field goals were a little bit more uh, attempted that we used to say a blocked field goal was just like a takeaway. Okay, we used to put that in our takeaway count, and we obviously uh, we always wanted to have three per game, so we counted blocked field goals, not missed field goals, uh, because that was kind of on them. But if we blocked it, that was on us, uh, and we counted that as a takeaway. Okay, so again, celebrate those things, whether it's helmet stickers, uh, making uh, uh, making. kind of doing a shout out, you might say, in a team meeting or after the game for the people who, who helped get that done. Uh, work with your defensive coordinator. So if you're a special teams coordinator, uh, work with your DC to have a plan for any of that gadget stuff, okay? So again, you're, you, you might face a team that does swinging gate in some form or the other. Uh, you might face a team that goes for two a lot. So even if I'm the special teams coordinator, if I know that they are a uh, swinging gate style team, I'm going to work with my D.C. just to make sure we're on the same page. He feels comfortable with that. Obviously, our head coach would be involved in that too. Uh, But you have to remember, when you work with your defensive coordinator, it is the last thing on his mind. Okay? He is thinking about everything else he has to prepare his team for or his unit for that week. So if you just tell him on Saturday, hey, they run swinging gate and you never mention it again, then you guys give up a touchdown on Friday and they come out swinging gate and you haven't worked it. That's actually on you because you have to continue to talk to him about it, Uh, you know, and you work with your coordinator and you kind of know their their uh, mindset and their attitude uh, about how you remind him of it. But make sure you don't just mention it once and then say, "Uh, well, I, I told him, you know, tell your head coach, well, I told him, boss. Again, that becomes on you as a special teams coordinator. So make sure in those situations, you and your DC are on the same page. But be realistic. It's not the first thing he wants to talk about uh, during his his scouting report. And then decide what do you want to be. Do you want to be a team that finds a weakness and uh, changes weekly? You know, hey, this week their left guard's really bad so we wanna go after him. The next week it's the right tackle, so we go after him. One week they got a wing who's not very good, so we go after him. So do you wanna be a team that changes weekly, or do you wanna get really, really good at one, one approach? For me, it was a, a block up the middle because I felt like no matter what a team did, as far as when they lined up to kick the ball, is we could have, again, one simple thing that we did over and over and over again and got good at, and for me that was a block up the middle. But, again, it's, it's all about you guys deciding uh, what works best for you and your program. Uh, it makes sense to always find uh, the weakest player and go after them. That totally makes sense, but you got to remember in three weeks that could be three different guys, and then how much time are you spending on that in order to to get that taught so for me it was more about hey let's have one simple one let's do it over and over again and and get good at it that way a couple final comments i hit, have here about specials things not to forget um, and again if you stick around for the shield punt uh, i'm going to talk more about this but in your meetings and in your playbook you need to review the rules of that special team with your players okay your, your your players watch a little bit of college football or a little bit of pro football and the rules change from level to level, but they don't know the finer rules. So one of the first slides we would have in playbooks with that when I've been the coordinator is some of the oddball rules or some of the main rules that those guys need to know because your players don't know them. They might say that they do, but they probably won't even say that they do. So make sure as a coach, it is your job to hit those rules with them, so you're not giving up a silly penalty on a special just because you didn't go over it. Another thing, specials involves everyone. That's one of the things I talked about at the beginning. You're gonna have offensive players, defensive players, everybody coming together. Defensive coaches, offensive coaches, everyone coming together. Find a way, and I think summer camp is a really, really good time, okay? Or summer camp and then maybe a little bit later on in the year, but find a way to get all of your players tackling. Your offensive guys haven't tackled in a while. If you're at a place well, you know, a bigger school like a Lincoln way, okay, a little bit different if you're 2A football, I understand that. But if you're a little bit bigger, if you're at the college level, your offensive guys haven't made a tackle in probably a pretty long time. So make sure that you're going over that stuff with those guys. You can't expect your wide receiver to be on your punt team. He goes down in a one-on-one situation against the punt returner. He misses a tackle. That kind of becomes on you, actually, if you didn't put them in practice situations to make those tackles. So, again, that's another big key. Don't forget to get those guys tackling. I think summer camp's a great time. And then, obviously, review it a little bit. But that depends on how much uh, thud you're doing in your your normal season anyways. And lastly, this was huge. This goes back to Coach Hendrickson. I don't know that I ever really heard about this until him. So, at, at this time, I'm in my second college job. Um, and and I learned something new, so you can always be learning. But have a time to do wet ball slash wet hand drills, okay? Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about this in the third presentation when I talk about unique situations. But you're gonna get into a game, even it might be the hottest game of the year, middle of the summer, right? I shouldn't say middle of the summer, but still August game or whatever. You're gonna have your long snapper, his hands are sweaty. Your punt return guy, his hands are sweaty. It doesn't necessarily have to be a rain game for hands to be wet or the ball to be wet. So you need to uh, find some practice situations where you can get their hand wet, hands wet, then make them uh, make them field a uh, field a punt or get their hands wet, then make them snap a ball. Okay, and then again, always have a couple junk footballs around where you can get the ball itself actually wet then he has to snap it, things like that. Uh, Your players need those things. And again, it goes back to this whole thing to tie it all together. Um, It's not important until it's important, right? That's how we started this conversation off. So hey, if the first time you ever make your guy snap a wet football is in a rain game, that's on you as a coach. So he does that in his game uh, and it doesn't go well, all of a sudden it's important to everyone. Well, it's your job as a coach You should have made it important prior to that, and you should have got him in a practice situation uh, where he was doing some wet hands, some wet ball stuff. So, guys, those are just some general special teams thoughts from me again that was much more of an iceberg that was a mile wide Uh, i would love to talk more about those and some of the things that have worked for me and and more of a mile deep Uh, so feel free to reach out to me i've got my email listed on there but again nick schroeder uh, right now with lincoln way central football as our defensive coordinator Uh, i've been very fortunate to coach uh, and coordinate specials in a couple different places those were the systems, those were the things that helped work uh, that I was able to build playbooks around, I should say. those are things that worked for me. Uh, but to recap two things, you all you have to find what you folks believe in and what works best for your program and your players. And no matter what, what you decide, really doesn't matter what the scheme is. Again, you can only line your kickoff team up two different ways really, right? Five by five or six by four. Uh, so really it really doesn't matter much about scheme as much as it matters about great players. Uh, getting them coached up. Don't put, in the, don't put them in unique situations for the first time ever in a game. Okay, get them comfortable before that game. Uh, but more importantly, um, it's about making sure that it's important prior to that game uh, because it's not important until it's important. So that's my thoughts on special teams. Thanks, Ben.